Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Welcome, friends. Here we are, coming to the end of our, um, well, not quite the end, but near the end of our um, second full day of practice. And uh, I hope that you're starting to settle in now and feeling that mm, perhaps familiar feeling of what the second day of a retreat is. Second day of a retreat has a bit of everything. Maybe you're a little bit quieter, but then there's the sense of, gee, I'm, I've been doing this for two days. Why aren't I quieter? Or maybe you've even touched some moments of, of quiet and connection. Um, and I hope it goes without saying, wherever you are is absolutely fine. You're not running the show. It's a very important thing to, to remember. As we said at the beginning, you just show up and, and the Dharma will give you just the retreat that you need. Isn't that comforting? Something that's different about a, an online retreat or sitting on your own, uh, perhaps you've um, sensed it or reflected on it, is that um, since you're, this is the only time you're able to see others, other yogis, you know, you're, you're not in the dining room in a very social environment and seeing how others are eating or how you are or out there in the walking, uh, either in the walking room upstairs at Spirit Rock or wherever you practice or outside on the land, uh, you don't have that much, uh, you don't have a chance here at all to see how others are doing. Are they going, wow, look at how slow they're going or gee whiz, you know, why don't they, why don't they slow down or wow, look at that. They're not even trying to impress anyone. How amazing, you know, however the mind gets activated when you see others. And of course, in the sitting hall, that's a, a prime place for comparing to, uh, to show itself. Um, sitting so still, everybody here is like a Buddha, except me. I'm just fidgeting like crazy, you know, or gosh, why does, why does his breath have to be so loud or whatever it is? Uh, there's not as much chance to activate the uh, comparing or the judging mind. But it's still quite possible that it shows up in its own way, even on a self-retreat. Maybe you've seen it even just looking at the screen. Oh, oh, look at that person's background. It's so aesthetic and mine is not very very uh, inspiring or I didn't clean up my room enough or gee, they don't, they're just themselves and not trying to impress anyone mm, or someone's appearance uh, or my appearance and my background. Um, and just want to remember that we're all practicing to be with things as they are. And yet the mind still goes through those kinds of trips. 
I wanted to talk tonight uh, about the mind and the mind's tendency to compare and judge. And even if it's not comparing with others on the screen, you might have noticed a few judgments about how you're doing. Am I doing it enough? You know, they say relax and bring compassion, but am I just being a lazy slob here meditating or am I really coming in wholeheartedly or gosh, I'm giving it my all. Maybe I'm getting wound up. Maybe I'm doing it too much. This is not how it was the last retreat that I, that I sat. Of course, we usually remember the very last few days of the last retreat after we've gone through all of this at the beginning. Uh, That's what gets us to go back to the next one. Oh yeah. I want to try it again. And then you have to go through those, those moments, of course. But you will probably, uh, or I probably have noticed the comparing and the judging uh, if you're like many yogis or humans. Uh, the, the Buddha talked about this tendency to uh, compare or judge as um, the conceit of I am, mana. And uh, if you're not familiar with the different stages of enlightenment, you might take comfort in knowing that um, even at the third stage of enlightenment, fourth stage being a fully enlightened being, even at the third stage of enlightenment, which is pretty rare atmosphere, there's still mana, there's still the conceit of I am that is taking ourselves to be separate. And in that, the tendency to see how we are relative to others. This is, uh, this is the Buddha, one translation of uh, the Buddha's teachings on mana. <clears throat> I think this is the Ty- Thomas Byram translation. Uh, very, well, I'll just read it. One who thinks oneself equal to or superior or inferior for that very reason disputes. But one who is unmoved under those three conditions, for that person, the notions superior and inferior or equal do not exist. For one who is free from views such as these, there are no ties But those who grasp after views and philosophical opinions, they wander about in the world annoying people. So first, let me ask you to reflect for a moment. When when does it occur for you? When have you noticed judging in the last weeks or days or last hour when have you noticed and when does it when has it come up particularly on on retreat here in practice where you uh you get to see it more obviously just think and remember if you notice it 
Um, it just means that you're you're not past third stage of enlightenment. That might be one way to to think of it. Uh, don't start judging yourself for it. You have a lot of company. And you might have been practicing enough so that you know, oh, this is just this is just a habit of mind. Um, and yet you get frustrated by it. You know, that that thought that I've had many times over the years, I know I'm stuck, I know this is just my mind, but I still can't get out. That's adding insult to injury, or as the Buddha says, adding the second arrow on top of the first. And there can be this sense, whether it's on the retreat or in our life, uh, because uh, the retreat just gives you a crucible for seeing in your life how this works, uh, of, of being a a fraud, the imposter phenomenon um, is it's sometimes spoken. I, I read a book called The Imposter Phenomenon. It was such a relief to read. Oh, yeah, I'm not alone here. Um, I can remember on one retreat, some people have heard this story. In my early days of practice, I'd love to go slow, really slow. It was just it was just fun to do when you're in that mode and I just be crawling, lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing. And when I'd be by myself, it was, uh, uh, it, it was really a, a nourishing experience. But as soon as somebody else would walk into my space, honest, in honesty, I started changing the note to lifting, moving, looking good lifting, moving, looking good, looking good, because that was what was going on. And it was, it was really humbling to see. Mm. So I want to talk about this tendency and give you the good news that you have a choice how to relate to those thoughts and those habits that get activated so easily. And that's what we're learning here to have a choice to relate to them in a different way with compassion, with wisdom, wise understanding that sees this is just a habit of mind. <clears throat> One thing that I found really uh, helpful in seeing how this process works is that it takes time for the body to catch up with what the mind knows. And when I say the mind, I mean the, the understanding, the clear mind that says, oh, it's all just thoughts. And yet the body tenses up in comparison. What do they think of me? Uh-oh, what are they, how am I doing? Or how are they doing? And, and believing in those thoughts and then you see, oh, I, I can't believe I'm stuck, as I just said. And you might know in here what you've been inspired by hearing from another teacher or have, have read in, in a book. And yet that activation is so strong in there. So 
I want to mm, share with you, encourage you to remember how profound developing patience is in this whole process. It takes time for the body and for all of that conditioning and the somatic reaction to catch up with what you know. So when you see those habits or those thoughts, rather than just saying, oh, who am I kidding? I'll, I'll never get out of this. Oh, I'm seeing it. And little by little, if you see it without judging, you are starting to change those lifetimes of that lifetime of habits. Mm. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll share with you a little bit uh, of my own process of my body catching up with my mind. Uh, and you probably have your own moments. And when I'm sharing a, a, a couple of these, think back to those moments where you really saw for yourself even if it's just a glimpse where you saw those habits in another way. As uh, I've sometimes shared on retreat on my, uh, on my first, mm, my first long retreat, my first three month retreat, this was the first retreat at IMS in 1976. And I just was, I was really uh, so inspired and I was, doing this very slow walking meditation. I was all by myself in the gym, which is no longer a gym these days uh, at, at IMS. Um, and I just wanted to play a game to see how slowly I could go. And I was, I pretended I was Marcel Marceau, the, the French mime, just seeing how, how he does it, how he, he, he moves, but you don't even see him moving. So I was just having fun. And in the middle of this game, somebody came into the, the gym, the walking room to do walking. And in the, the first two years at IMS, they tacked on a two-week retreat at the end of the three-month course. They only did it for a couple of years and they thought this is not such a good idea because you could really feel somebody's energy when they're they're coming in from the outside. And so there was this person who had just come onto the retreat. It was obvious, but I wasn't going to stop my little game. And so there I was lifting, moving. And in about, after about five minutes, this person who was pacing back and forth just bolted out of the, the walking room. And as she passed, the thought came to me, I really blew her mind she must think I am an incredible yogi. And then I heard that thought reverberating through my, my mind in all of its ugliness. It was like I opened up to this trap door of ego and presentation and look at me and all of that. And, and it was so painful. And from that slow walking, I, just, I became like a caged tiger going back and forth I'm never going to get out of this mind. What kind of a phony do you think you are? You're such a hotshot yogi you think you are. And I did that for about mm, 10 minutes or so. And then it occurred to me because I, had, I was quiet enough to catch the thought. The thought occurred to me, 
the millions and millions and millions of times I had that kind of thought. Look at me. Do they notice how good I am? Uh Oh, oh yes. Look at me. The millions of times I had it in this lifetime. And then I started to think about countless lifetimes and it just completely boggled my mind. And as I reflected on it, there was this deep wave of genuine self-compassion that I'd, I'd never experienced quite like that before. And I thought to myself, you are really working as hard as you, you can. You know that. You know you've been so sincere. You've practiced this, that other way for a long time. This is going to take some time. And it was, um, it was a, a, a truly memorable moment in my life where I actually felt, oh, yes, you're trying so hard. It's okay, my dear. You might have had your own moment of being humbled like that and, uh, and maybe your heart just thawing a little bit. And as you are practicing, whether or not you can recall a moment like that, get in touch with your sincerity that you bring to this practice. As the Dalai Lama once heard him uh, say in a uh, um, meeting with, uh, with Dharma teachers, he said, my sincere motivation is my great protection. So just getting in touch with the sincerity that you bring to the practice, even when you see those habits and you go down the rabbit hole, this is going to take time. Another mm, key moment I I remembered on a, another uh, longer retreat a, a few years later, uh, I saw the judging mind again, just everywhere. And um, I was very much inspired by uh, a treatise, maybe uh, a number of you are familiar with, the Verses on the Faith Mind by Sengstan, the third Zen patriarch of China. And one of the couplets there is, the burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. That made complete sense to me. The burdensome practice of judging brings annoyance and weariness. And what I decided to do, I could see my judging mind everywhere. And I just decided to tack on a little piece of wisdom with every judging thought. So particularly the dining room, as I said, time for rampant judging and comparing Every time I'd notice a judging thought, I just tack on the burdensome practice of judging. And there I go through a meal, you know, oh, look at how much they're putting on their plate, the burdensome practice of judging. Oh, look at mismindfulness. They are just being so impeccable, the burdensome practice of judging. And honestly, I go through every meal. Tea time was a little bit less because there was a little bit... Uh, it was a bit shorter, but I go through almost every meal 50 or 75 times at least, just catching my thought. Oh, the burdens, there it is. And after a while, I had to start 
laughing because again, it was so rampant. It was so obvious the, the habit that I had habits that I had practiced. And I started after the humor, I started to shift and again, give this little game to myself because I saw that if I wasn't careful, I'd be judging the judging mind, you know, Oh, look at how mindful they're trying to be. Oh, judging. Oh, and I'd say, oh, that was another judgment. I just did it again. Oh, judging, damn it. Until I shifted and realized I was just compounding and adding one judgment on top of another and judging the judging and judging the judging of the judging and on and on and on until I I flipped it around and said, oh, what if I bring compassion to the judging mind? What if I see it and evoke the Kuan Yin inside of me? And many people have, if you've sat with me, probably I've given you the transmission of my two, my two years of practice after that, both on retreat and off the cushion, I would instead take my hand to my cheek if you want to try this you can do it with me now uh you can uh, you don't have to if you feel self-conscious but just know just imagine you've had a judging thought oh darn it look at me and now what i did was close your eyes and just feel the tender caress on your cheek and in the kindest voice to yourself silently just note, oh, judging, judging, it's okay. Okay, you can open your eyes. That was my main practice for two years. And I didn't do it like this all the time. I did it a lot at the beginning or when I'd forget. But what off what happened after a while, the voice in my mind magically turned compassionate and soft. And then I became kind of excited at the judging thoughts because, oh, it was another time to practice compassion. Oh, great. Oh, yes, I can be kind again. You've probably seen in your own, in your own practice how humbling it can be at times, maybe on a meta retreat as uh, as I experience, and you say, "Oh, may I be loving, and may I be happy, and may be, may I radiate goodwill." And I think of all the awful things I'd done in my lifetime as that purification process happens. And after a while, oh yes, the meta turns toward those habits. <clears throat> Another, actually. Um, Key learning that I got was when my son, Adam, who's now our son, Adam, who's now 34, when he was, when he was young and we, um, uh, I used to watch Sesame Street with him and we had this little game between us because one of the great songs from Sesame Street that has, has been probably as good as any Dharma teaching was the song, um, Hmm. I'm just kidding, <laughs> getting in touch with it as I'm speaking. Everyone makes mistakes. Oh, yes, they do. 
your sister and your brother and your dad and brother too, <laughs> big people. And we'd sing that and I'd, I'd be telling him, I'd say that particularly as much when I made a mistake as when, when he did. Like, it's okay to make mistakes. Huge, huge teaching for me. So you, you, you never know where you're going to get your, your teachings from. I take them from where, where, whatever help I can get. Mm-hmm. want to share with you uh, a little bit of some practices that, that we can remember to, to bring to our retreat around this, uh, particularly uh, one aversion that I've been kind of pointing to that some of you are familiar with, uh, the, the wonderful self-compassion practice that uh, Chris Germer and, and Krista Neff, who uh, developed Mindful Self-Compassion Program um, so effectively to hold all of those habits with great kindness. And if you're not familiar with them, then um, uh, you might check them out. Um, they're two practitioners in our community who are, are also researchers and uh, psychologists and have created just a very accessible way for anyone, whether or not they're practitioners, to uh, to learn to be kind to themselves. And that that is the key, isn't it? It starts, you probably have heard that word a lot so far. It starts with kindness. That's the foundation, because that's how we can really come to some ease and relaxation so we can see more clearly. So here's the self-compassion practice. If you're uh, very familiar with it, take a beginner's mind. Uh, and uh, here's a, a refresher in it. The key is first to just acknowledge this is a habit with mindfulness and to realize you're not alone in this and then to turn in a moment towards yourself with compassion. So there's there's three reflections that they have and we can, I can, we can post them in the, in the resources. Um, but I invite you to do this with me. The way I do it um, is um, I start with what they, uh, they suggest is the end, but I find it really helpful to start this way, which is to, again, have some kind touch to yourself. For me, those years ago, I put it on my, my hand on my, my cheek. Uh, they suggest hand on the, the chest or the heart, which stimulates uh, the vagus nerve and releases oxytocin. Or if that feels a little bit too much, then you can just kind of give yourself a hug. And nobody has to know if you're, you're around people. You know, you can be just kind of warming yourself up or um, putting your hands on your face and your hands, but with a loving touch. And this actually starts to shift your whole relationship to the experience. And then they um, suggest three statements and you can use your own variations. Or if you don't want to say anything, just remember the loving touch, that'll do it. But this is what they suggest, or this is how I do it anyway. So you've just seen something that you regret or you've blown it or you've said something you, uh, you wish you hadn't or 
you're not sitting as Buddha-like as you'd like, uh, and you see the judging mind. So just first feel that. This is also really good if you get lost in emotions of anger or fear or wanting or whatever it is, if they happen to pop up in your mind or your heart ever. And first, just feel that loving touch. And then saying in whatever words resonate with you, something like, oh, this is suffering. Or this is a moment of suffering. You're just acknowledging with mindfulness what's here. Or, oh, this is hard. This is painful. Yeah. Whichever ones, this is suffering. And then the second reflection is realizing you're not alone. And there they suggest um, suffering is part of life. And what I like to do is think of the millions and millions of people who might be going through what I'm going through right now. This loneliness or this sadness or this fear or this wanting or this self-judgment. Uh, this is part of life. And as you reflect on the millions of people, just you can feel compassion for them. This is part of the human experience. And then the third reflection, as you feel compassion for them, you can turn it onto yourself. Oh, May I hold this suffering with kindness, a compassion. Just turn the mind or the heart towards that. It's so powerful to incline the mind in that gentle way. May I hold this with kindness and compassion. So this is suffering. Mm. And suffering is part of life. Let me hold it with kindness, with compassion. And as you're doing that, what I like to do is reflect that there's, there's a, a little one inside that's hurting. I think of us all as just little boys and girls in big bodies when we get activated. And there's one inside that, that's, that needs comforting. And there's also a wise one that knows just how to comfort her or him or them. And so it's a kind of coming into wholeness where the wise part of you can hold that lost, confused, judging part they're all you notice how that feels to just give a, a few moments of tenderness to yourself
however you do it, whether it's you can take my uh, my practice of just noticing the judgments with kindness. If you do that, by the way, and if you don't do anything else this uh, these 12 days, it'll be time well spent. If you can notice your judging with kindness, I guarantee you'll feel you'll get your money's worth. Um, or the self-compassion practice, or a sense of humor is another way to, um, uh, to get some space where you're not taking it so seriously. If there's a place that you can laugh at yourself, wow, look at this crazy mind. And instead of, oh gosh, look at this disgusting mind. Ooh, wow, look at the mind. Look at the mind do its thing. Amazing. You're an explorer of the human experience. And this gets me to my uh, next piece that I want to share that is really where liberation comes in. Self-compassion and self-forgiveness is a wonderful thing to be able to hold those places with tenderness but there's even a deeper kind of freedom that comes when you see the emptiness of it all. How freeing to realize these are just habits. These are just thoughts. I remember early on in my practice, it wasn't so, actually it wasn't so early. It was after maybe about mm, four or five years um, where it occurred to me one one day in a meditation hall, it was up in Santa Rosa, where I, I said, I have no control over this mind. Now you might think, gosh, that's a kind of depressing thought. It was so freeing to realize I don't have to blame myself for what comes through this mind. I don't say, gee, I could go for a little bit of uh, rage right now. Yeah, bring it on. No, it just comes. Oh, yes. How about self-doubt? Yeah, that, that'll do me good. You don't have control over it. Those thoughts come all on their own. And if you don't mess with them, they vanish on their own too. But when you realize that you don't have control I thought the I don't have control over how mindful I am or how concentrated I am in any one moment. I have some input as to a sincere intention to practice being mindful. And it turns out that that's the secret ingredient. But what's coming on in every any single moment, I don't have control. If I did, I just sit down and say, okay, I think I'll go into third jhana right now. Yeah, it doesn't work as as easily as uh, as we'd like. You know, other thoughts come through, other meditation uh, experiences, other mind states come through, and it's so liberating to see you don't have control. As we've said a number of times so far, the what you do have control is the intention to be here and how you are relating to this moment's experience. And when you aren't taking this moment's experience 
personally, when you're not taking it personally, then awareness can hold anything that arises in the mind. One of our dear friend and colleague, uh, Carol Wilson, uh, has a line that I've used many times over the years. She says, awareness doesn't care. Aware awareness cares in a loving way and meets the moment friend with friendliness, but awareness doesn't care what is arising in the mind. Awareness, the awareness of fear is not afraid. The awareness of anger is not angry. The awareness of sadness or loneliness is not sad or lonely. It can feel that way, but the awareness can hold it all. And when you understand that, you see everything is just arising and passing in this field of awareness. Think of how many different moods you've had so far today. Any one of them, you, can you say, oh, that's really me. They've all just been coming and going and coming and going. Think of how many thoughts you've had today. Maybe you've had a few repetitive thoughts and say, oh, well, that's me. No, 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 no. You just press the replay button without you realizing it. But awareness can make space for anything. That's the beauty of it. And this is where I really want to bring in the profundity of the Buddha's teaching. The, the second discourse that he, uh, that he gave uh, to his five fellow uh, ascetics uh, after the, the first, the turning of the wheel of the Dharma, the Dhamma Chakra Sutta, where he talked about the Four Noble Truths. And one of those five became enlightened on hearing that discourse. Pretty cool. The second discourse, the Anatalakana Sutta, the other four became enlightened. So you ready? It's really very simple. And you've heard it very uh, throughout your Dharma journey. It's what I just said a, a little while ago. This form is not governable by you you do not have control over this form. And he said, is this form permanent or impermanent? Impermanent, O Lord. If it's impermanent, can it be satisfactory? Can it give you lasting happiness? No, Lord. If it is not under your control, can you call it self? No, Lord. He said, this body, you can't say, you can't call it I or me or mine. 
And then he said the same thing with our feelings. That is the Vedna, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral experience. It's just part of life. If you had control, you'd only have positive, pleasant moments. Is it impermanent? Yes. If it's impermanent, is it satisfactory or unsatisfactory? Unsatisfactory, or a better word might be unreliable, out of our control. And is it mine? No, not I or me or mine. And the same with perception and the same with mental formations and the same with consciousness. He said, none of it can you claim as I or me or mine. And particularly focusing on the selfless nature of the mental formations, which includes thoughts and mind states and emotions. They're all coming and going, coming and going. And you don't have to blame yourself for the habits that get formed and that you get caught in. You don't have to take credit for the beautiful thoughts. Hey, that was a pretty neat thought that just came through there. Look what, what kind of a wonderful spiritual person I am. Let go of the credit. Let go of the blame. You can delight in the beautiful things that come through you and give them energy and give them power by inclining the mind and deepening how good it feels, that wholesome state to move through you. But credit or blame is extra. And along the same lines, another thing that's extra is struggling. I was saying it in the group that I had uh, that we met this, this morning. One of my uh, great um, instructions to myself and that I share with others uh, in, in recent years, struggling is extra. You get no bonus points for struggling. And if you are struggling, you're too tight, you're too contracted to see things clearly. Uh, and this is why, you know, we, we've mentioned so, so many times just in these two days, how important, how essential relaxation is. Because in that relaxation, in that lightening up, there's space to hold whatever is here. In the tight mind or the tight body, we are fighting experience. But in the relaxation where you're not blaming yourself, you're not giving yourself a hard time, and you can be kind to yourself, there's enough space to see clearly, to start to understand and wake up and hold things in a different way. I love a line by um, Pema Chodron 
it's been uh, one that I've I've shared with uh, with practitioners for many years now. She says, "Take delight in the awareness that sees the dukkha. Take delight in the awareness that sees the dukkha." So when you see the dukkha, whether it's you know, worry or fear or uh, uh, pettiness or whatever, or whatever it is, or the pain that you're going through. Instead of blaming yourself, take delight. Oh, I see, I'm seeing it. You're taking delight that the awareness is seeing and not identifying in that moment with your experience. Oh, it's like the Buddha saying, I see you, Mara. How wonderful that he could say, I see you, Mara. And uh, you, you might not be aware of something that I've taken great comfort in, in the Pali Canon. In, there's a whole series of discourses in the Samyutta Nikaya, the connected discourses where Mara comes to visit the Buddha after he's enlightened. Not just before he's enlightened. You probably know that story. You know, what makes you think you have a right to become enlightened? And the Buddha touches the earth and he says, oh, the, as the earth is my witness, I have a, a right to be free. And Mara disappears. But that's not the end of Mara. There's about 20 or so, 25 little vignettes of Mara coming to visit the Buddha. And uh, one of my favorite Mara uh, says, uh, hmm, you think you're such a, a hot shot. I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Uh, you think you're such a, uh, a hot shot, uh, ascetic renunciate. You're sleeping four hours a night. What, you know, what kind of a wimp are you? you know? mm, this is a, a big paraphrase. Uh, and the Buddha as he does with every one of these vignettes, says, I see you, Mara. And as each time Mara slinks away, curses, foiled again. Now, if Mara can come and visit the Buddha, give yourself a little slack if you get caught. And all you need to do is say, oh, I see you, Mara. Or, oh, well, look at that mind. Yes, dear, you just got lost. Take delight in the awareness that sees the dukkha. So now at this point, I, I want to do something a little different. I didn't clear this with my colleagues, but I'm um, going for it anyway. Since we're on Zoom and we can be a little bit more um, experimental, I wanted to share with you um, uh, a song and it's probably not a song that, you know, that there might be some people say, Oh no, I don't want a song stuck in my head for the next 12 days. If this gets stuck in your head, you'll be happy. Uh, but you probably won't because it's not such a, it's not a song that, you know, that's familiar, but I'm going to share the lyrics uh, along with the song. So uh, it, it's pretty easy to hear because it's very clear. But um, for me, this song 
is um, one of the most powerful pointings to seeing through identification with our experience. And it's from, are you getting excited? A little entertainment now. Um, and it's from um, a wonderful play, musical play uh, called The Fourth Messenger, written by one of our um, Sangha members, Tanya Schaefer. And the music was written by Vienna Tang, who's just an amazing, amazing musician. Um, and it's a, it's a modern uh, day adaptation of uh, the story of the Buddha, uh, but where the Buddha is, a, is in female form. She's called Mama Sid in, in, the, in the play, Siddhartha. And she's, she's giving a transmission to somebody who is uh, caught up in their story and in their fear, um, who comes to practice with her. So it's called the human experience. And I'm told, uh, Brian warned me that sometimes the sound goes a bit louder uh, uh, when, I, when one plays um, through uh, iTunes. So just be ready to adjust your volume. Is the volume okay right now? Cancer? I'm so afraid. See the fear. I see the fear. What color is it? White. What shade? Blinding. Like sun on snow. Yes. Breathe through the fear. Breathe through the fear. I'm trying to breathe through the fear, but how can I breathe through the fear? Feel the fear, name the fear, it's just another texture here. Feel your heart rate rising, the sweat appear, part of the of the human experience now see the field the shape of the field focus till it's crystal clear you're outside of it now peering in at all of this human experience all of this Now you are a scientist Gazing through a microscope You are a detective gathering clues So keenly attuned To everything around and inside you Joy and doubt Fear and rage Feel the spark ignited Evaporate like all of this human experience. 
fear I know you I, uh, that song moves me so much. Uh, it brings me right back into those moments where I've, I've really seen through it all. And, uh, and if it's touched you, it means you've seen those moments too. You know what that's like. And when you can see through those moments, the, the most beautiful thing of all is you get in touch with a wisdom that you might not have even known you've had. And you start to be a bit better at listening to the different thoughts that come through instead of believing every one. You know, there are thoughts that come through with a, a finger wag and a, a, a grasping and an agitation and there are others that are beautiful that come through with great compassion and understanding. And they feel different in your body as well. Just start to notice the difference between those judging thoughts and the ones that are coming from the Buddha or Kuan Yin right inside of you. When we, when we take refuge in the Buddha, as we did at the beginning of of this retreat, we're taking refuge in that place inside that knows. The one who knows, Ajahn Chah uh, talks about. So it's learning how to listen to that Buddha or Kuan Yin or Mother Mary or the kingdom of heaven, whatever you want to call it inside and not believing those judging thoughts, but holding them with compassion and with wise understanding that sees the emptiness in them. This is, I'll end this with just a little passage from Yoshal Kempo, great Tibetan master. He says, Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlightenment itself is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing this Buddha nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. That's who you really are. That's the good news. And everything that gets in the way is part of your opening to the human experience with compassion, with forgiveness, with love, with understanding. So let's just take a, a moment, let the words settle.
So thank you for your attention and for us to be able to share the Dharma together. Uh, I wish you a, um, a rewarding, a, a fruitful evening um, and a day of practice. And uh, you can't overdo the kindness part and then see clearly through it all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.